2: everyone. This is David. Welcome back, Behind the Velvet Rope. Let's just get right into it today. We have so much to get to because we are joined
1: by the one, the only, Miss Carol Potter. Well, thank you, David. That's a very sweet introduction. Um, has anyone ever told you that you bear a resemblance to Randy Rainbow? Not once in my entire life. Really? Really? I mean, I, there's something about your face and the shape of your face. I don't know. It might also be your attitude, which is similar to his, right? I thought you were going... Okay, so let me just tell you, this is not my ego talking,
2: but I thought you were going somewhere else. This does tie in because numerous times at numerous ages, various people tell me throughout my life, this is going to sound egotistical that I look like Brian Austin Green. That's really? what I get. Yeah. And, and that sounds very egotistical because he's just, I mean, I, I, I appreciate all that is Brian Austin Green, personally.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Cause I, I, I mean, I, I remember, I think of his face as being wider and square, more square than yours. Whereas Randy's is this nice long oval.
2: When we get off now, I'm going to have to go and see, like really study. Cause you are literally the first person who has ever was that. said
1: that. I yeah. Well, you know, I, yeah. it might be an online thing. You know, I only see him on video, and I'm only seeing you on video. It might not be an in, in-life thing at all. You know what I mean?
2: I do. And listen, if anyone knows Brian Austin Green's face, I mean, you certainly know it better than me. Well, <laughs> it's been
1: a long time.
2: <laughs> it's been a long time, Right.
1: And oh my god it's a it's a, been a hugely long time i mean i i i'm i'm just so bowled over by um the 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 resilience of this show and how the people who loved it at the time are such diehard fans and that when we keep getting new fans because of you know dvd sales and now we're on you know some kind of cable networks and or, or streaming services right, and so new generations are discovering it i mean i i it just'm just blown away by uh how it's endured um through these many many, many, many years. Does it ever get,
2: and you're answering half of my questions right now, and then I want to ask you some other things and go back to the beginning. But since we're on the subject, does it ever get tiring? Like, just even as like an actress to be like, you know, listen, you've done a lot in your life. We're going to talk about your book. We're going to talk about what you do now. You know, you could play any role. You could play the breakout role of your life next week with Meryl Streep, and you could both win Academy Awards. And, you know, does that ever get tiring that you're Cindy Walsh to a whole bunch of people? No,
1: no. You know, honestly, um, I I think one of the things that's nice about it is everybody has such a warm spot in their hearts for her. I mean, it might be different if she was a sociopath, right? Right yeah and you know i don't it's not like i live in this world where everybody's coming up to me all the time saying cindy walsh cindy walsh cindy walsh um truly that's that's still it's a a rare occurrence you know moments like this and you know occasions when i happen to be out in public and somebody recognizes me but obviously that hasn't happened at all this year because i haven't been out in public
2: it has not happened this year or last
1: year It's not at all overwhelming because, um, you know, I get when I, when people do connect with me, their hearts are so forward in terms of their love for this character. It's, 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 it's it's balm, really. I mean, it's very, it's, it's lovely. It's sweet. And, and I, and I have to honor it, you know, that's good, because I never,
2: you know, I mean, I think most people feel that way when they have a role like this, but you never know. I always, you know, it's
1: always like a fine line, I, I feel, of like... Well, I have a feeling the kids went through a period where they were so, get thee behind me, you know, Brandon Walsh or Brenda Walsh, right? I'm here right. to do other things. And partly because I did sort of move into a, um, a another line of work soon after, although I, you know, I did that soap too, Um, uh, Sunset Beach, which was, gosh, that was an awful lot of fun too, almost the same character, frankly.
2: It was a very similar character and it was a great show.
1: And I don't know, it's funny because in the year that my son was born, I did three guest stars and they were all moms, all moms of different kinds. And uh, when I was doing commercials in New York, there was this year where I went from you know, I suddenly popped into the mom category. I mean, in the same year, I had a baby and a 10-year-old. Wow. So, so it, it, obviously, there's something in my persona that communicates to people that says mom.
2: I think if they ever do like a top 25 or 50 moms, you know, like, okay, I would assume Florence Henderson is probably number one or in the top three. But I, you're going to be on that list, whatever it is. I'm, I'm telling you.
1: Well, it is It is really amazing to me. It's just amazing to me.
2: How did, because you were working, like you're from New York. I live in New York now. So shout out to anyone that was born and raised. Oh. Do, do, do you miss New York?
1: Oh, I miss New York. I'm going. You I'm are? Going. Yes. I still have wonderful friends there. My brother lives in the area. And, you know, I haven't seen any of these people now in over a year. And I was... I was getting used to seeing them more regularly. um, But, so I'm looking forward to that.
2: I'm coming to LA probably. I mean, I've been away three times already. You know, I mean, I feel like, I don't know if you've flown at all. It's, you feel, I haven't felt unsafe, I'll be honest.
1: Well, I'm vaccinated now, so. Well,
2: there, I mean, people. Only other people that
1: I pose a threat to.
2: Right. Well, I mean, like, so you're from New York and you were working, you know, as an actress before this. So how did this, Iconic, infamous role. Like, when did you first hear about Nine Hundred Two and Zero? Like, how did oh this God. come to? you
1: Well, you know, I had come to L.A. with a show, um a show called Today's FBI, starring Mike Connors, and we had a great season, and and then it was canceled. And I, I you know, I felt like a beached whale in L.A. I said, "What am I doing here?" I got depressed. um I went back to church. I went into therapy. I mean, I did everything right. Um, my life is not turning out the way I thought it would. And, um, well, there was a lot of stuff that happened and that was another period in my life where I thought, Oh my God, I'm never going to work again. This it's over for me. Uh, I was a single mom at the time and I was just like in despair. I mean, truly. And every time, you know, so that I, they called me for this audition. I went in and I read and then I didn't hear anything for two or three days and I would just Bawling my eyes out about this is it my career is over how am I going to support my family and because um, I had I hadn't really caught a lot of traction I would had that good year when my son was born that I had a few guest spots but I hadn't caught a lot of traction and and so this happened like I don't know there were two or three auditions and I so I when I got the job I was thrilled. Um, you know, at first it was just the pilot. And I mean, I had no idea whether it was going to be successful or not. I, I don't have an eye for those things. And I was, I was dating a guy at the time and when they picked up the series, my first thought was, well, now we can get married. Because with neither of us having a job, it didn't seem like he was also an actor at the time. So, um, So, you know, it was just one thing after another. I mean, I think the amazing part started happening during the filming of the show. Um, And I think it was, we did a season. I can't remember. I think they, they, and they decided at one point that they were going to show, they they figured out that it was uh, for teens and they decided they're going to start shows in the summer so instead of right. doing 22 episodes we did 30 episodes which is a lot and then there was this incident with um with luke having to be smuggled out of an event in a laundry basket because of how many people showed up and that's when it started to go oh this is a thing you know we, i mean we were, i mean I liked the I liked the stories I liked that you know we were dealing with issues, you know, I think Chuck Rosen would say it was it was the first show to take teenagers seriously, maybe for in a long time at least and it was it was the precursor of a lot of shows that focused yeah. on teenagers right um but i I don't think we had any idea that we were in this the forefront of a movement, so to speak. You no, and it wasn't until these events started happening that people, that just exploded, that people were going, oh my God. And I had, my niece was 14 at the time and she got all her friends to watch because I was on it, you know. And it was their favorite show and they couldn't believe they'd never even heard of it. And they'd only be, they were only watching it because I was on it, you know, her aunt.
2: And they couldn't believe how how good it was.
1: Yeah. And so I think it was the second season that they went for this 30 episodes and they started in the summer because that's when kids are home. They're out of school, right? Yeah. I
2: talked to so many people on this show that when I run into someone or have them back on the show and they remember my name, I'm always blown away. It's the little details. And when it comes to sheets, the only place I turn is Bowl and Branch. Why? Because they pay attention to the little details. Bolin Branch was formed by a husband and wife team that set out to give sleepers more choices for high quality sheets at a fair price. And boy, did they ever accomplish that. What I love is the variety of colors. I chose the pewter mainly because it goes best with my apartment. The sheets are so elegant. They look and feel so suff- Sophisticated, But the price is so reasonable. That's why I chose them. They're 100% organic cotton. They are made toxin-free. And what I love is they get softer with every wash. Sheets that look high-end, sophisticated and elegant, but are affordable, sign me up. And that is why I did sign up. These are the only sheets I will now use. And you guys need to check this out. So listen, you can try them worry-free for 30 nights with free shipping and returns Experience the best sheets you've ever felt, choose Bowling Branch. And because you're listening to this podcast, you get an exclusive 15% off your first set of sheets with promo code VELVET at BowlingBranch.com. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L and B-R-A-N-C-H.com, promo code VELVET. I think it was, so right, the first season aired and the ratings weren't good. So here you go. It just wasn't, the ratings weren't good. And then, you know, back then, right, it was CBS, Fox. Fox was the new thing. We had none of this streaming and they, it, right, that I was, I, the, it was the, the
1: fourth network.
2: Yeah. And they decided to do episodes in the summer that first year. And that's when you guys came back and the
1: ratings for the second season were like through the roof. Through the roof. Yes. Yes. And it's when, you know, because the teenagers really caught on to it. And that that sort of shifted the whole focus of the show. It did. When you, before you got
2: 902, and when you were not getting traction, were you ever in, were you ever close to getting something that now it's like, oh, that's Pretty Woman, that's Julie Roberts? Like, were you ever close to something that is now like so iconic where you're like, okay, just thought I'd ask.
1: No, no. Everybody has those stories but me. (laughs) And um, actually, I have to say, you know, and uh, Meryl Streep, um, she and I are about the same age. But when she came into town, she'd been at Yale Drama School, and she sort of came in the tier above me. I was reading for her understudy, (laughs) so that's where. But I, I, I love the theater, and I had a great time in New York. And I don't, you know, the way your life goes, you think you're in charge, but you're not. And it's we're such creatures of Uh, opportunity and circumstance. And um, so I can't regret that I left New York, but I just, I love New York. And you can't tell, like, when you auditioned for
2: tournament like, you couldn't tell, like, you got the part, you just, you know, you just, you couldn't
1: tell. It wasn't like, this was the best audition of my life. Yeah, no, the final audition, I knew it was between me and somebody else. It was down to two of us. And God only knows why they went with me. Maybe it's because I think she maybe was blonde and uh, Shannon is dark haired. So it may have been that I I look a little bit more like Shannon. I mean, I don't think I look particularly like Shannon, but we don't look dissimilar anyway. So who knows? I mean, these things, you have to learn as an actor that there's a way in which it's not about you. It's about what's in their minds and what they're looking for. And if you match up with something, um, sure that, and, and there's also, uh, you know, I know that casting people are sometimes bowled over when somebody walks in the room, who's, you know, hits it out of the park in terms of there's, they've just got that thing, whatever that thing is. And that's not something you can manufacture, you know, so should I mean
2: are we saying that you owe Shannon your job on 9 Two? just because you looked <laughs> a little know. I could
1: I could very well be I'd say I owe it to um um Aaron spelling but cuz he was he was a lovely man
2: well, to that point, I mean, even though you say you couldn't tell, like, was there buzz about this? Like, at least when you went and auditioned, I mean, this was Love Boat, this was Fantasy Island, Charlie's Angels, like, this was Aaron
1: Spelling. Like, were you at it least was, like, oh my it god, was Aaron Spelling? But you know, I don't know if there wasn't buzz or just I wasn't plugged into the buzz. I was kind of in my own world. I mean, I I really, I really dig deep into my personal life, and when I'm there, I'm not, I'm not really. I'm not one of those people who's really got a sense for what's going on in the industry. I'm, I'm am i I'm a Johnny come lately. As far as the industry goes, I was, I was much more clued in about theater in New York when I was there. Um, but that's not, it just, I don't, that doesn't, that's, you know, and I know that smart actors these days, they do know what's going on. They know who works where they're, they're producers as well as actors. And I, I was never a producer. I'm never, going to be a producer, no.
2: You were just like, let me do a great
1: job. Let me, just let me do my thing. I don't want to be in charge. Right, so you were
2: just happy to have. I
1: mean, no directing, no producing. You were just happy to have the job.
2: It wasn't like, oh God, this is the one that's going to change my life.
1: No, no, I was delighted to have a job. I was thrilled to have a job.
2: When you. And
1: a lovely character to play. Yeah, it was a lovely character. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: And you couldn't, like, that first season, like, when you were filming it before it was out and the beach club and when it came back and the ratings went through, like, you couldn't really tell, like, this might change the TV landscape forever.
1: Oh, no. No idea. No idea. Yeah, I mean, even how much it would change my own life, right? None. And and actually, I'd have to say that... um, It's... In a, aside from the years that I actually worked on the show, um, the biggest change to my life has been much more recent because of this kind of resurgence of the show. Um, you know, the last two or three years, there are so many, there's podcasts, there's, um, you know all kinds of stuff going on about the show and about other shows too you know it's not just us but this um this treasuring of uh, i think of an experience that people had when they watched the show and connected with the characters it's um that's become huge in the last several years and and so there's a way in which it's it's there's more change in my life now because of it than there really, was. Really?
2: Really? Yeah. This pod, right. It, it is a trend, like the OC, there's two people from the OC that just now have a podcast, but like Tori and Jenny, like you've been on their podcast.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: How was that? And have been on the
1: 90210 podcast and, you know, there's a, there's a, a bunch of things happening, you know, and, and I think, you know, actually, I have a friend who's doing a little podcast on Sweet Valley High, which I think was a series of books. They never turned it into a TV show. Yeah. But I think it's a similar thing. People um, that's longing for, I think it's the longing to redo our high school experience. Let's face it. Who knows what the fuck they're doing in high school? Can I say that? on? The oh, show? yeah. You can say okay. anything you want. Yeah. Well, even if you do
2: know what the fuck you're doing, who had a great high school experience? I mean, maybe some people did. I would not be
1: one of them. So I'm not going to raise my hand for that. No, no. I I mean, I I wouldn't say I had a terrible experience, um, but it was just confusing. And college was even more confusing because it was the sexual revolution and the Vietnam War. It was insane when I was in college. So it, it's probably taken me 20 years to recover. And now
2: you're getting this, this whole resurgence of fanfare.
1: Yeah, so it's lovely. It's lovely. It's like the cream in my coffee. It's icing on my cake.
2: It's literally the gift that keeps giving.
1: It, it really, it literally is. I mean, this book, this book I wrote would not have happened without 90210, I don't think. This
2: podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check out betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. Listen, life is full of stress. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are. Life is stressful. You may not be feeling down and out and depressed or like you're at a total loss, but if your stress level is high, like mine, your temper is shorter than usual, like mine, or even if you're starting to feel strained in any of your relationships, you could probably use the chance to unload. Unload the stress and get it out. Talk to someone who's completely unbiased and who's not going to judge you or take sides. If there's stuff you can't tell your friends or family, this is the place to do it. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's a much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours, unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain for it. Try it out. See if it's for you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp And Behind the Velvet Rope listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Velvet Rope. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash Velvet Rope. BetterHelp.com slash Velvet Rope. I want to talk about that book. But before we get there, because I do have a lot to say about the book and your transition to this career, so let's just talk about, listen, it, there's no secret there was an unauthorized movie made about it. Like, we all know about all the talking about what happened on set. So let's just stay there for a minute. Just, if you, do, I mean, not, like, just humor me, because I'm so excited to ask you some of these questions. So, I mean, first of all, I want to talk about, you know, did you see that unauthorized movie? Because there was a lot in it.
1: Tell me. I'll, I'll have to
2: look for it.
1: <laughs> Where do I stream it?
2: I'll have to send it to you. It was like a few years ago. Okay. I mean, I know. I mean, they did one for Saved by the Bell. Well, I mean, you know, so we have, an, you didn't meet anyone until you were on set, right? You didn't audition with anyone or anything like that. I auditioned with,
1: Um, I, I did read with Shannon, um, with, with, the, when, uh, with Aaron Spelling, the, That was, I think, my last audition. And then uh, we recast The Husband, right? So I read with uh, James and the other fellow who was reading for that part. And I saw the two guys reading. I saw Luke and the other fellow reading for Luke's part at some point. And I, I, I looked at Luke and the other guy. They were so different physically. I said, oh, yeah, that's the one. What was the other one like? He was um, smaller, he was shorter and more um, built out. He was, you know, uh, um, you know, Luke was kind of tall and slim and this guy was more, was a little bit shorter and kind of hunkier, more muscly, that kind of guy. Totally different type. I, I thought that was really interesting. And you just looked at
2: Luke tall and slender and he said, that's, that's just getting the part.
1: Yeah. I looked at him and said, Oh yeah, he's the one.
2: <laughs> See, maybe,
1: I was right.
2: Maybe you maybe you do have this whole side career in casting. If you're not a producer, <laughs> maybe
1: you would. I don't know. You know, everybody says it's people think once you're in the industry, it's so easy to slip into another thing. Oh, why don't you do this? Why don't you? Well, it's each thing is its own learning curve, yeah. its own how do I get... I mean, I am not on the inside enough that I can just switch um, switch roles that easily. And, and it, it's not my thing anyway. You like acting. I like act, I like, I like people, I like human dynamics. So I'm interested in, in acting in um, psychotherapy, and I'm interested in spirituality, which is all about being human. So all those three things working together is sort of what I've always been interested in and kind of moving from one to the next. Well, that's why you became a
2: licensed therapist. That's right, Well, you know,
1: I studied psychology in college.
2: I, I like people too. I mean, that's part of what I love about my job is that oh, you yeah. just really get to know someone. And like, I'm definitely one of those who's always on my phone and I'm like, I hear it. But like, when you do a show like this, you know, you are focused and you're like, then I remember it forever. Like, I could tell you what everyone has said on every show I've ever done, just because you're wow. focused. Well, maybe not everything, but like the majority <laughs> of it. Yeah. Yeah. So how was it like, let's just stop, start with Tori for a minute. You know, we all know the story, like Tori, you know, auditioned under a fake name. And I mean, who doesn't know that story? I mean, I don't know. I only
1: heard it a, a few years, a couple years oh, ago. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know.
2: Well, Tori Mitchell, I don't know how that's so fake or so misleading and how the people in the room
1: don't know, like you're Aaron Spelling's daughter, but. Well, and certainly by the time Aaron sees the tape. <laughs> yeah. He knows. He but that was probably smart on her part. She's very savvy. That's I've come to understand. She's her father. You think she's her father's daughter? Oh yeah. I mean, she's already produced how many shows? I mean, you know, reality shows and sitcoms with Jenny. I mean, she's 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 like a producing juggernaut in some ways.
2: She is. Was. There ever, you know, because this is where my mind goes, like, how do you have conflict with the boss's daughter? Like, I know Tori wasn't one to cause trouble on set, but like, was there ever that like nepotism and like, we can't go against her? No, no, no.
1: I certainly never felt it. Um, but of course I wasn't in a position of making decisions. I was just there, you know, serving the role. Um, but my, but I was, I was just impressed, you know, and I worked with Randy on um, Sunset Beach, which was really sort of interesting, but I I was kind of impressed with both of them. They seemed to have their feet on the ground and they knew what they were about. And, you know, the way she has been able to take this success and generate more for herself, I think supports that, that view. Um, she's, yeah, I thought both of them were very down to earth, actually. And she's very savvy. And she, I mean, I thought all the young ladies had a fashion sense that was really fabulous. Not, yeah. not one I've ever had, but.
2: What about, did you kind of stay out of all the drama? You know, I mean, because you oh, are- yeah.
1: Oh yeah, no. I mean, I used to hear from the wardrobe people say, "Uh, because I don't know, there was issues of who was going to wear which dress, and, um, yeah, um, but and I kind, I kind of understand it. They were very young, you know. One of the great things about doing the, um, uh, the reboot, a couple of summers ago, was to get to see them again." And they're all now older than I was when I was doing the show and they've all grown up. So I think we can, I think we can write off a lot of that craziness that happened to very young people being thrown into the spotlight, a lot of pressure on them. And what, how does that pressure get, expressed it, it gets expressed in, I've got to be better than her because if she's my competition I mean and seeing one another that way I mean I think also that's that's kind of the way women are trained we're trained to see each other as competition whereas men are more likely yeah they're just they're just as likely to put somebody down so they can they're, they're into competition but there's it's more of a bro competition you know it's maybe it's probably a little more overt perhaps. Right. I don't know. I don't know if there was a lot of competition among the guys, but, you know, they were like, hey, they were the BMOCs all of a sudden, whereas the girls were like, holy shit, somebody came to my house. That's scary for a woman. You know, and this sense of being famous, that means people are coming after you. It's terrifying for like an 18 year old or a 19 year old young woman who's you know sort of barely feeling like a woman
0: seeking the truth never gets old introducing june's journey the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery join june parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s with new chapters added every week the excitement never ends
2: Right. And there is that pressure, like, this is your big
1: break. If you don't do the right
2: thing, your career could be over.
1: And that's, that's also part of the teen angst. This is, you know, this is going to ruin my entire life if this doesn't go well. (laughs) That's just not true, you know? Right. But I think it served, I think they all made, um, I think they all did well with it overall in terms of dealing with all of those pressures and um, and looking good on the show. Do you think all the reports of, yes, we've all,
2: this is many years later, we've all come out of it, but at, you know, do you think all those reports of like, you know, Shannon, 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 like she was the original bad girl <laughs> on set, like were, were was there ever anything you read where you're like, okay, well, let me say this is just, this never happened people. Come on.
1: Well, I, they talked a lot about stuff that I had no idea about. Um, Uh, And, you know, I didn't read the stories about the show that much. Um, I was, frankly, I was doing my own publicity. (laughs) I was a little more interested in that. But I do think that, you know, the press likes to um, highlight conflict. Especially between women. Especially between women. And so, you know competition and stuff like that and especially I do think especially young women you know young women become sex symbols for men who are old enough to be their grandfathers right because of the bizarre bias of our culture and yeah And so anything titillating that they can come up with, I mean, and I think it's exploitation. It's exploitation of the young people who are in our business and and really need to be protected from some of that until they're really, you know, old enough to deal with it. Right. So you weren't
2: around like when, I mean, these are things that are admitted, like when Shannon and Jenny got in the physical fight.
1: Oh God, no, I was never. No, you know, it's interesting because after, after the first season, it sort of shifted from being a family show to the kids show. So that means, I mean, I didn't even see most of the other kids unless they were congregating at the Walsh house, right? Right. Which they did periodically. And that was always a lot of fun, Uh, but you know, they're at the Walsh house, so they're not going to break into a fight at the Walsh house. They probably had the fight at school and I was never at school. So, (laughs) right. So, um, You know, I just, I I didn't see a lot of this stuff. I wasn't there for it. I would hear, sometimes I hear about it, as I say, from makeup or makeup and hair or the costume department were my sources of information. All I just remember some, a big argument about a dress the infamous and, red dress, yes, the infamous red dress, but you know they they did do this storyline where they both showed up at the prom in the same dress, and I wonder if they picked that from the things that happened on this in their competition over the dress thing
2: they might have, but yeah, like I would imagine like if there was a physical fight, the makeup and hair people would say like, "Hey,, I mean, that's just like you know, yeah, no so." Oh. The- wow, I never heard about the physical fight. You see, you're enlightening me. And while you really just keep to your, like, I mean, that's good. Like you're just into your I, know,
1: I You know, I don't know. Sometimes I think I'm, I'm just a little bit too much of a, you know, into my own thing on the set. It's different in a play, in a play, you're there all the time, you know, and I, I, I would hang out on set sometimes, but, um, you know i wasn't trying to learn how to be a director or a producer and <clears throat> so usually i would say oh well you know i've got i had a kid i had a husband i had other things i was doing i had did i did lots of pr and you know so um i would sit in my in my um dressing room and do the things that i wanted to do or needed to do and right. and the rest of it just went over my head That's
2: good. So it's not like you woke up and you're like, my stomach is so tense. I don't want to go to work today. Oh God, no.
1: Oh no, 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 no. And I mean, you know, I was showing, I was doing what I needed to do. What other people did was their business.
2: Did you, was, did you see like a decrease then? Cause I'm trying to think back like from that, that first season was more of like the family show when we moved from Minnesota and then right after the summer. So like, was your role supposed to be bigger or it was kind of- the same because you guys were having Well, the a difference birth. was
1: they weren't, they we really didn't have any storylines that centered the parents, right? Anymore, so we were sort of adjunctive. I mean, you know, it's hard for me to remember. They did finally do something, you know, at one point it was like we'd have be in the family, right? And my job would be I turned into a waitress of my own family, right? I'm care, they're using my. I'm bringing the coffee pot to pour the coffee for a dolly shot to bring us into the scene, and then I don't say anything during the scene. and And I sort of complained about it. I said, "You know, I'm the mother. I I should have a point of view." And one of the um, one of the one of the writers, uh, we had lunch sometime after this, and she's she said, "You know, I realized that we didn't have that much for the parents to do, so we just put it in Jim's mouth," and. I felt particularly bad about that because I knew that a lot of kids were looking at this show and they're looking at what moms do and moms, I mean, the in the home is the one place where women really engage. Right. And yeah. so it's particularly onerous, but, but then they did a very clever thing. They sent me back to school.
0: <clears throat>
1: so I would run into the kids because I went to the same university. Right. California University so right. I would run into I would have little interactions with the kids there and add whatever um plot twist or subtle shift that uh, that was important for the storyline right and right. so that gave me a little different venue to to work in and then James and I would still have I mean I had a James I worked with James probably more than anybody else right
2: like I mean James and then shannon and jason probably second
1: yeah well shannon second definitely but you know even though i had scenes with the group i never had a one-on-one scene with my son until i came back as a guest star in season seven now i find that bizarre i find that
2: bizarre yeah i find that really bizarre you want to know what my theory is? I have what? not checked
1: this out. I have not checked this out with any of the writers, so oh, my own theory. My theory. I mean, most of the writers were a lot of the writers were men, and I think, you know, Jason was number one on the call sheet. He was the guy. He was the organizer. He was the center around which this group formed, and I think, a, they didn't want to deal with their own. Issues with their own mothers when they were teenage boys, and B, they didn't want to put they didn't want to put their lead guy into authority under under the authority of a woman. Now, that might you know that might be it, it could be that that sort of thing was operating at a very sort of subconscious level, and then they weren't I'm sure they weren't thinking that way. Wait, you know, so I wait,
2: think, so let me follow. So I'm just, so there's no there's scene. Psychologist talking. But I. But this is the stuff, like, I, I love this stuff too. So wait, so like you didn't have a scene with Jason alone until season seven.
1: Season seven. When I come home and Jim and I are on the outs and maybe going to get divorced. And he and I had a beautiful, lovely, long scene together. And that was the first time we'd had a one-on-one scene.
2: And then what, so that I got, and then I didn't understand where you were going with the second part of this. But it sounded interesting.
1: That the writers didn't want to engage with a teenage boy and his mother because it triggers their own experiences as teenage boys with their mothers. And there's an authority conflict. We live in a patriarchal culture. So young men want to be in charge, especially as teenagers when they're trying to prove themselves so hard. But in the home, the mother has more authority than the teenage boy, excuse me very much, right? Yeah. And that was uncomfortable for them. Both to put Jason in that position and to relive it themselves. That's that's what I think was going on. But, you know.
2: Interesting. Hickory's
1: making it up. I mean, I don't know any of these guys well enough to to say from their own experience what that would have been like. I just know that, for teenage boys and their moms, that's that's a little bit of a dissonance.
2: That's an interesting, right? Because you had scenes with James and I mean, you had scenes along with Shannon.
1: I had tons of scenes. There was tons of mother-daughter storylines because <clears throat> that's kind of classic teen, right? Yeah. And there were father-daughter storylines and father-son storylines and the, no mother-son storylines. Interesting. Isn't in that?
2: That is interesting. I mean, I don't, you know, I've watched them. All, I just can't, that's, I'm, I'm bad about picking up on stuff like that. Well, well, What about, you know, all these rumors that like Shannon was just grossly late all the time. So you were, you, you had your head down and you were doing your part, but now there's a scene alone between Carol well, and I, Shannon.
1: Okay. I have to confess. I, I, there was one time. And I remember where um, and, you know, there are times when she might have shown up late, but they whipped her through hair and makeup and got her ready. And, you know, there's all sorts of things that delay. So you, you, you're you not always sure what, what the delay is actually from. But right. there was one time where we shot all the coverage in the scene first because Shannon was getting ready. And so we couldn't do the... Normally, you start with the um, cover shot, right? And... What, what what the main shot where you you know you have all the action in one shot normally you start there and then do your coverage but we did the coverage first because she wasn't there and that like didn't bother you like you weren't the well, like- it's like i mean it didn't bother me i'm sure it bothered the producers and the director and and, and i i have to say it didn't seem i mean it seemed like not not the best way to move forward with your It's not a smart move for an actor to show up late.
2: No. So, like, as the mother, you know, like, did you, did that spill over to just the whole cast? Like, oh, I want to pull Brian aside and, you know, tell him, like,
1: oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. No, 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 no. You could I see know, why I someone would better, think, you know, kind of better than to uh, try and tell people how they should live their lives. But, And, you know, these kids had as much or most of them had more experience in certainly in this area of the business, you know, television and and film than I did. I mean, Jason, Shannon, she'd been acting since she was, I don't know, seven. Yeah. Jason had been acting since he was four on television. So, I mean, I was really kind of a newbie uh, from that point of view. I mean, I'd been in town for several years for three I'd been in town for, gosh, I guess nine years by that point. And I, I had done some television I had done the series, you know, this other TV series. We had, did a whole season. And then I, you know, I did various guest spots and movies of the week and things like that. So I'd, I'd done a lot of stuff, but I mean, I hadn't been on something like little house on the prairie.
2: Right. That's one of the most iconic TV shows. One ever. Of the most iconic
1: TV shows built on one of the most iconic book series for, uh, you know, especially for girls ever written.
2: Were you, were you shocked when like, you know, like you said, like Luke was being snuck out, you know, Jason, like just the, like, you know, from the children's point of the kid's point of view, were you shocked at just how like they couldn't go to a mall, the girls would chase them. You
1: know, you heard all these stories. I, I, I was, it was very, it was, and I, I, you know, as far as I, as far as having to deal with all that stuff, I, I was not envious. This is, uh, this is a major obstacle to, you know, just living your life, having to be, yeah. being mobbed everywhere you go. Um, but uh, you know, the one time, and you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, and, um, I was happy for them to have all of the publicity and stuff that they wanted and everything like that. The one thing that really hit me hard, though, was Life Magazine did a, a, a an article on the show and they took a picture of the cast and they did not include the parents. And that, that hurt. Because that was Life Magazine. I mean, I don't care about 16 or, you know, American teen or whatever, but Life Magazine, I grew up with Life Magazine. I remember reading about Gregory Peck in uh, To Kill a Mockingbird and that little girl who played Jem snuggled on his lap. Oh my God, I was so jealous of her.
2: (laughs) Was this, were you in the picture? Like when it was sent or taken and then they just edited you
1: out or there was two different, they didn't even We were not invited to to be part of the picture. And, you know, this is after oh, Life Magazine is coming to the set. They're going to take a picture of the cast. And and you're going, oh, yeah, that's cool. And you show up. At, you know, we were we were filming, so they we didn't have to show up at an extra time. But then the time comes for the picture of, oh, no, 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 not you two. Not, not the parents, just the kids. So it was like very, it was not clear at the beginning. And so it really was like a little stab in the heart.
2: And when they tell you this, is it like you and James are about to walk on to where the picture's is being taken, and they're like, "Please back up."
1: <laughs> well, no they they were they were gathering people together to go, and he said, "No, no, no, it's yeah." That's when we found out. Oh, not the parents. We're not part of the cast. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know. So that was that I'm was you know, it's one of those things, they're paying me all this money. I'm I'm getting to live a beautiful life and I have my own publicity and stuff, so
2: it's like So yeah. it really was just the life the Life magazine was the one thing that kinda
1: really really hit hard.
2: What about right? And you weren't upset when they were getting mobbed like that. You were almost oh close, god and, no, and that never oh. came to you. Like you know, people saying okay, you know, they talk to you for three minutes and they say, "Tell me about Jason. Tell me about Shannon." Can I? Well, can I uh, meet there Jenny? was a
1: little bit of that. You know, I I had I don't know. You know, you meet somebody from the media, and and you think oh they're being really friendly, and and then they start calling you and says no you got any dirt on the set and I, and. Well, I, first of all, I never really had any dirt on the set. And second of all, I wouldn't have shared it with the media anyway. I mean. Right. Right. I'm going to move
2: on after this question, but. So you did have these scenes with Shannon, like, was she ever mean
1: to you? No, no, she was always a a complete professional with me. I wouldn't say we were close um, because she was very independent And, you know, she, she had her own idea about things. She was very outspoken about things. Um, uh, But, but we had a perfectly, a very good working relationship. So, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have any problems with Shannon at all. That's good. And that's good that you
2: just kind of stayed out of the (laughs) fray.
1: I stayed out of the fray.
2: Well, no, because like you're saying, like you're appreciative, you took the job. You know, like I could see if you were doing a scene and she was like, did have her opinions and she said, wait, stop, let's do it this way, let's do it that way. And you're just like,
1: I'm just the actress and I just want to play the scene and let's go home. I could see Um, that being annoying. I never had that kind of issue with her. I mean, you know, sometimes she was insistent in her coverage that she, you know, she wanted another take, but, you know, I respect that. Um, You know, sometimes actors... You know, you can be too passive as an actor. Um, you, you have to have a sense. And sometimes people who get a reputation for being difficult, it's just because they're insistent that they, you know, they want to do their best work. Um, right. You know, what did I hear about De Niro once? Made them do 60, six zero takes of him walking down a street and going in a door. Excuse me, that's ridiculous. But, he, you know, he's given carte blanche because, of course, he's Robert De Niro. But at the same time, you know, but a, a, a younger, less well-known actor who may have that same potential gets labeled if they do stuff like that. So it's it's a real it's a balancing act. You have to be assertive enough to make sure you're giving you're getting what you need and you're giving what's required. Right. And and more than what's required. Right. and recognize that you're only one part of a huge machine and you have your role to play and you have to respect other people who are involved. One of my favorite stories is, you know, there was a period where you'd show up on the set, right? And the, and all of the kids would sort of slowly wander in, you know, and the directors would be tearing their hair out. Well, the first time uh, you know jason directed one of the episodes the very next episode he was in he was the first one on set when called he was you know mister show up be there cuz he suddenly saw from the other side of the camera what it cost when right. people aren't prompt and come when they're at, when they're called you know it right. was really it was like wow somebody figured something out there
2: that's an interesting point. Do you think because you know now we're in social media and back then it wasn't, it was different, but we have like the print magazines. Like, do you think this whole thing with Shannon, I mean the bad girl and all this, like, do
1: you think it would have been a thing if she were a man? Like if this were Luke or I Jason? think it would have been approached very differently. I mean, in the same way that for the guys, um, you know, having all of this fame and having women throwing themselves at them was, that all stoked their ego. Um I think that, you know, women who behave in those ways are still called sluts and men are not. There is totally a double standard. And I do think that it's, you know, that they use that bad girl thing as much as a titillation factor. Um, you know, and I, I don't know Shannon well, so I don't know if some of that was maybe just deliberate because as they say, no, publicity is bad publicity publicity is publicity people know who you are and um you know so i i wouldn't even know how to begin to have an opinion on that but i do think that we are very um patriarchal culture still and that that really influences the kinds of pressures that are put on especially young women you know by the time you know people, women are my age nobody pays any attention to them anymore so that's another reason why this is so fun <laughs> normally i'd be fading into oblivion but because of not no 210 suddenly people are interested in me it's like it's it's quite lovely the world's
0: most exciting podcast home of borders language culture and here he is new york times best selling author and national radio hall of fame inductee michael savage i'm michael savage host of the Savage Nation podcast, home of borders, language, and culture. Hear my new podcast each week as I speak with top guests from around the world. Right now, we have over 700 shows in our library featuring interviews with world leaders, scientists, faith teachers, and more, including President Donald Trump, Prime Minister of Israel Ehud Barak, Edward Teller, the father of the hydrogen bomb, Jerry Falwell, and so much more conversations and commentary you cannot find anywhere else other guests have included samuel cohen the father of the neutron bomb breitbart's alex marlowe the great author peter schweitzer colonel douglas mcgregor be here or be nowhere the savage nation podcast catch the michael savage podcast on all podcast platforms every tuesday and every friday Well, I would have wanted to talk
2: to you five years ago, 10 years ago, if I was doing this at the time. Yes, right. It never went away for me. I didn't even really realize that it was such a big resurgence now. Because, like, for me, it's always just, you know, you have your shows that you're always like, this is on brand for the podcast. This is on brand for my personal life. Like, just this (laughs) is a self indulgent show. I'm happy to do it regardless. But no, I mean, that's a good point. And you never, I guess you kind of already answered this, you never wanted to, like, take someone like shannon not as a mother just as like an actress to actress like you know you were appreciative like i'm making a lot of money like thanks for tuning into part one of our sit down with miss carol potter and stay tuned for part two you know i haven't asked all my shannon and tori questions i just can't help myself we talk about when cindy and jim walsh went to hong kong on business and when never heard from again, they moved to Hong Kong, the exit of Carol Potter from 90210. We talked to Carol about that, life after 90210, BH90210, the reboot, which we all saw a year or two ago. Will there ever be another reboot, movie, reunion? Carol's life now as a therapist, her new book. We have so much more to talk about. Current projects, True Tory. Shannon, remember Scare Tactics with Shannon Doherty? We talk about it and we talk about the passing of Luke Perry and just the 90210 legacy. There's so much more. We are just scratching the surface. Hope you enjoyed this. Stay tuned for our second part of a chat with Miss Carol Potter coming soon.